Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spot Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Casey Flaherty, who is the co-founder of both Procertas and recently also co-founded LexFusion, which is a company that is aiming to change the paradigm for how legal departments and law firms purchase technology and innovative services. So welcome to the show, Casey. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I was looking at your background and previously you were a leader at a global law firm called Baker and McKenzie. And there you had a team of experts across the globe. However, you are also an entrepreneur at heart, it seems like, since you've co-founded two companies. And in addition, you apparently are a lean Six Sigma black belt. So what are some of the best practices that you follow to be successful wherever you go? Well, I think like everyone, I've had a bit of luck and a few happy accidents here and there, but my hallmark have been curiosity. I don't have many hobbies because I genuinely enjoy what I do, um, but also a willingness to question the way things are done. Law is very much a we've always done it that way uh, type of industry. It, it's actually built into the way lawyers are taught. Everything is based on precedent. Everything flows from precedent. There are rules and then there are precedents in interpreting those rules. And that is what governs our world from a legal perspective, but it shouldn't govern our world from a legal service delivery perspective. And so legal expertise is important and in fact, only growing in importance in our modern environment. But because of that, we need to find more ways to leverage that expertise through process and technology. And for a wide variety of reasons, process and technology have been slow uh, to come into legal. And so when you combine the curiosity with the passion with not accepting the status quo, you become someone who wants to change the way legal services are delivered. Because there's a lot of fantastic lawyers out there. I was a lawyer, I was pretty good, and I really enjoyed it, and I really respect it. But I found my comparative advantage and the place where I could make the biggest difference in changing the way legal services are delivered. I don't know if any of those are our secrets, except for those wanting to be entrepreneurs out there. I've now done it twice, inventing businesses that didn't really exist for invisible needs, that people didn't know they needed it until they saw it. And there is so much room for that. Yes. Although you, know, you work for big companies, including you were the general counselor at Kia Motors, and then to be able to know where to take the risk. Did you come from a family of entrepreneurs or how did you get that side of you and dare to take action on it? I did not come from a family of entrepreneurs. I came from a pretty poor family and therefore poverty doesn't scare me. Yeah. To do this, you need to have a level of risk tolerance, which I absolutely do. That said, how big a risk am I really taking? I always had my law degree to fall back on. I always had pedigree I developed to fall back on. It wasn't as if had I failed, I was done for the rest of my life and would never find another lucrative job. I may have set back my career path a little bit, diverted it a little bit, but it wasn't that big a risk mm -hmm. unless you have a very narrow view what lifestyle you're willing to accept. Like if you must make your current level of income or more forever, then being an entrepreneur probably isn't for you. But if you're willing to take a step back lifestyle wise and put some bets on yourself, those may well pay off. 
or not, in which case you can go back to the track you were already on, maybe with a bit of a hiccup. But frankly, you'll develop experiences and skills that you wouldn't have otherwise that will make you even more valuable. And that's not just being an entrepreneur. I know people who took, I don't want to call them detours, but joined the military, were firefighters, started their own business outside of law before coming to law or while being in law and coming back. And they all developed skill sets and mindsets that continue to serve them well going forward. Which isn't to say that everyone should leave the, the law. There are some absolutely amazing lawyers who were born for it, who are great at it, and we should be glad they're doing it. But there are a lot of miserable lawyers out there. In fact, the most recent polling suggests that lawyers are the most miserable profession. Not only that, that law is literally the most boring profession. There, there's a couple of surveys out on both of those. Hmm. I don't find it miserable at all. I love the law. On the boring, I actually agree. There's a lot of drudgery inherent in what lawyers do, but I, for one, believe that much of that can be automated away. That through, again, process and tech, we can enable lawyers to work at the top of their license and focus their really valuable time and insight on high value ad activities. And that that's what I'm focused on. It pains me that so many smart people who have so much to contribute spend so much of their time on what I consider to be administrative or low value labor intensive tasks that are necessary, but not worthy of their time. Yeah. So it sounds like the co-founding of these two companies came out of an inspiration for you to contribute in that particular way. And tell me a little bit about then what did you struggle with as a leader? I know you currently also deal with a lot of universities. I think over a hundred have adopted your technologies and there's a lot of people aspects to what you did before and what you're doing now. What have you learned? The hardest thing for me to learn is that you have to earn the right to have task conflict without having personality conflict. Huh. So intellectual friction is common and healthy. You want people to have disagreements over the best path forward, over the best choice, because then they will discuss them and may find a third option that's even better. Yeah. This is how discourse should work. And it is very, very healthy. And I'm a huge proponent. It, we, And yet oftentimes, a re, the reason we avoid intellectual friction, the, that we avoid task conflict, is it too easily translates into personality conflict. Mm -hmm. When you tell someone you disagree with what they said, they take it as a personal attack on them, mm -hmm. on, their, on their intellect, on their knowledge, on what have you. And that sours the relationship and leads to a breakdown in communication. How did you discover that? Failure by learning that I had personal conflict with people with whom I'd only had task conflict, finding out that other people felt like I was belittling them or dismissing them and, and somehow didn't respect them as people mm. because I'm a trained advocate who's fairly confident and I hope competent. I was thinking that we were engaging in open intellectual debate over important issues. And when I say important, not important to the world, important to the business. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't received that way because I had not established the personal rapport with them yet mm. and did not have that understanding for them to know that A, I respected them just intrinsically as human beings, as peers, as colleagues. 
we didn't, we had not established that. And, or as well as the kind of interpersonal signaling necessary for them to know that, oh, this is just intellectual friction. This is just past conflict. And while I, of a personality, I would like that to be automatic, that is not true <laughs> for most people. Right. And there's this whole, I, I don't want to be profane, F your feelings kind of mantra that's out there mm-hmm. that I actually understand kind of personal visceral level. But as a manager and a leader of people, I reject it wholeheartedly. Mm. because it's not going to help the team run better. You do want to get the team to a place of psychological safety so that they can have intellectual friction, so they can engage in task conflict without feeling personally attacked. But that's not by dismissing their feelings up front as invalid. That's by putting in the work to establish a culture such that people are comfortable. And I learned that the hard way because I didn't. And then I, I had to do a lot of remedial work to clean up my own mess. Yeah. So this is called blind spots. I'm yes. sure I have other blind spots, but that is the blind spot that jumps out to me most. And, and, I, and I think that's probably true of a lot of highly competent, confident types who would become entrepreneurs. Yes. They, they have a lot of self-belief. They're, they're willing to take on risk. And that's not true of the vast majority of people. And and therefore, they shouldn't be surprised that the vast majority of people are not like them and do not see the world they, the way they do and aren't going to be immediately comfortable in the environment that they create. I can confirm what you just said. And so I'm grateful you were willing to share that piece about your learning lessons, so to speak. And then, of course, I'm also curious because the statistics are not great when you partner up with someone else and co-found a company and you've now done it twice. So did those lessons learned help you then in terms of having partners or have you also learned a lesson or two in terms of co-leading or co-founding companies? Well, I, there's one very hard-earned lesson that I unfortunately can't go too deep into on that one, but mm. I can just tell you that I've made some massive mistakes on that the first time around and have not repeated those mistakes the second time around. I will say that you're going to want to know your partners from a business perspective, how they operate in business, mm-hmm. not just personal. And while it's certainly helpful to have complementary skills, It's also dangerous when the person you're working with is supposedly skilled in something that's foreign to you Mm -hmm. because it's very hard to vet them. Mm. So if you like someone personally, you don't know that much about them professionally and you're not well positioned to vet them professionally because it's outside of your core competencies, it's outside of your areas of expertise, that's the danger zone. So that, that, I mean, that's the, the hard lesson. The other lesson that I've learned that has been less painful to, to get used to, but but certainly in a sense took me a lot longer is is different, not just different working styles, but different communication styles. And not only between the founders, but with customers. Mm-hmm. I have been on many a call with potential customers and heard a co-founder say things that make me cringe. Hmm. Because I would never say them that way mm-hmm. and then seem witness, witness them land extremely well with this particular customer because they and my co-founder are on the same wavelength and I'm the one 
who's not getting it in this particular instance. Mm. And I'm the one, if I was the one making the pitch, who would actually need to change my pitch to better reach this particular customer. And I know it's been true the other way around. I, I can be a bit pedantic and use words like pedantic in a sentence. And sometimes that's appropriate and sometimes it isn't. And being able to shift conversational styles yourself is a skill, but it's also great to have different types of individuals within the organization and, and finding the right customer salesperson fit. And I say salesperson, even as the CEO, you're a salesperson. Yeah. Yeah. The lead, the team, if, you, if you're in a leadership position, you are always, always representing the company and selling the company, even if you're not selling the product mm. in, a, in a given instance. And, and, and having those different styles can be wonderful and very productive, but it's actually hard to get used to. Yes. Especially, again, especially if, if you're very self-assured and, and have strong opinions, which if you're an entrepreneur, you probably are. You probably already probably do. Right. Well, I certainly appreciate your willingness to to share all this because you already suspect this and I can confirm that there are definitely entrepreneurs who relate to what you just shared. So Casey, as we start to wrap up the show, I would bet you've been through a crisis or two trying to be an entrepreneur and trying to deal with co-founders and et cetera. But I don't know if there's anything you can say around how you made it through the COVID times or what ideas you have for leaders who might be facing future crisis and how to make it through that the best. I've been through COVID and much worse. And I'll say being a leader is a privilege. And part of that is to be of service to the people who are around you and recognizing that hard times are hard and not to shield them from it because they're adults and they should be treated as such, but to be clear and candid and vulnerable in your communications can, can go a long way towards providing comfort. And it's hard because you're going through it yourself and want to put on the strong, brave face, but people can see through that. And if you can be honest with them, they will respond. The other thing I would say is your actions and your words have to match. And, and, and this is something that was very hard for me to learn. When, when my people would go on vacation, I would tell them, go on vacation, enjoy your time off. I know because you're conscientious, you're going to look at your emails. Hmm. Don't worry about it. If we need you for anything, we are going to put urgent in all caps in the subject line. And therefore, when you scan your emails, unless you see urgent in all caps in the subject line, don't even open them. Don't worry about it. And I said that. And then, of course, whenever I would go anywhere, I'm on email every single day. Hmm. And I realized that by doing that, I was communicating far more of my expectation than I was with my words, even though I genuinely, sincerely meant those words. It is so hard for people in leadership positions to turn off. And yet it is so important to model that behavior for your team. If you really believe in that, if you really believe that people should take time for self-care to recharge, which I personally do, you have to model that for them or your words will ring hollow. Well said. Glad you became aware of that too. Let's just say I put a lot of emails on delay deliver. 
Mm. And I still wrote them because I can't help myself, but I just, I didn't want to put that pressure on my team. Thank you so much, Casey, for being on the show and being willing to share all your lessons learned and some best practices that you now employ. And I know that if people want to know more about the companies you've co-founded, they can go to Prosertas.com or Lexfusion.com. And I will put that in the description and best wishes with your ventures. Thank you so much for having me. 